Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Joining us uh, on our Sunday online service. It's um, entirely online today. I've not had the uh, privilege of uh, speaking to an in-person gathering just yet. It hasn't coincided for me that way just yet. Um, but grateful to God for the opportunity to as to lead us as we continue in this series based on the gospel according to Mark, servant, savior, son of God. Um, and as we come to uh, our text today in chapter 6, um, the general idea here, the general idea here is that um, we can really have confidence in God, in his message, in his provision, in his mission, and in his provision, even as he leads us, um, as he calls us to part to work with him in his purpose here on earth. Um, and we will see this in, well, four incidents, but sandwiched into three, really, in Mark chapter 6, as we go through the, the text. We will first see Jesus experiencing rejection in his hometown in Nazareth and then um, followed by an account where he sends out his disciples to neighboring villages in continuing his mission. And um, it's in there that we have sandwiched an account of opposition against those who are out in mission, particularly John the Baptist, where he gets beheaded. And then afterwards, um, another incident where uh, involving, of course, a couple of boat trips, just like Alan was mentioning, a couple of boat trips last week. But um, an incident where we, where we come as disciples to uh, experience the Lord uh, teaching us about his provision his ability to provide for um, his mission. So, let's um, read the text today. It's a long, we're reading through um, Mark chapter 6, and I want to read from the New Living Translation. I don't think we have it on display yet, but you read along in what versions you have at the moment, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> well, um, Mark chapter 6, Jesus left that part of Nazareth, that part of the country, I beg your pardon, one second, I'm sure I set this up to stay on, just bear with me a moment, okay, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. 
Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called the, his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and, to, and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. <coughs> Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do so, so he can do such miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother. <sighs> <laughs> I set this thing on. He had been, she had been his, brother's, his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to, to kill him. But with, without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, 
They came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, there is a, This is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told his disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boats and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night... The disciples were in their boats in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the, in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they were, wherever they heard he was, wherever he went. In villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him, were healed. I pray the Lord bless us even in the reading and the hearing of his word. 
um, even as we pray now in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, um, this is your word. And this ministry is yours. Much as we get ourselves prepared and um, study indeed to show ourselves as handling your word rightly and declaring your truth, Lord. I pray that you speak your word clearly, even in such a way as ministers to everyone hearing today. Lord, give me utterance to speak. This is a lot to go through, but I pray, Lord God, that even the things that you need spoken today, even to your church and to everyone listening, will be the things that you give me to speak this morning. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, in uh, these incidents here, as we see, um, we can have confidence in the message of God, knowing that God's spokesperson will be honored in the first place. That's the first thing we're, we're, we're looking at and taking, um, getting from the first incident here. From verse 1 to 6 of um, Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus, you know, coming home to Nazareth. We see Jesus coming home to Nazareth, his hometown from Capernaum. If you remember last week, Alan, um, the, 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 the last event was he just went to the household of Jairus and raised the daughter, and then comes home. I mean, instead of a rousing welcome for their boy, Jesus, Jesus experiences resistance to his ministry. I mean, look at, look at the contradictions. In verse 2 of our text, they acknowledge that Jesus indeed has or speaks with wisdom, and that he has power to perform miracles. You'd want to equate that with, okay, yeah, this is some kind of approval. I mean, God, you can't do this if God is not at work with you. But rather than honor the God who's using the vessel, or the God who indeed is the very God in their presence, um, these guys choose to belittle his mission out of familiarity. If he chooses to belittle his mission out of familiarity, I mean, this is choosing to belittle the spokesperson who is delivering God's message rather than acknowledging the God who speaks through that in that spokesperson. They belittle him saying, but he's just a carpenter, you know, and they start name dropping on him. Basically, we know his brothers, James, Judas, Joseph. We know them. Uh, I mean, to share their refusal to believe in him. I mean, I remember one time I was, um, I think I was talking with somebody in Charlton. And I, I think at that time, um, what's his name? Uh, Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand was playing for England. And, you know, this, this person just happened to start speaking very 
derisively of him, saying, Ah, oh, we, know, we know that boy when he used to play for Charlton. We knew him. It wasn't anything to reckon with. And I'm thinking, dude, acknowledge the fact that this guy <laughs> has got several caps for England in the first place. He's representing right there. What's the problem? But rather than um, acknowledge the, 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 the credentials of the messenger, acknowledge the things that they also have attested to, they want to belittle him. The point is, um, if that is not heartbreaking, you know, if, that's, if you don't find that heartbreaking as well, I mean, I wonder what kind of a heart it is that um, you would have. But Jesus' response is very telling and encouraging. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, a prophet is honored everywhere, everywhere, except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Wow. I took a moment to just look at what a prophet is, really. Essentially, this is first someone who tells the truth with God's authority. They're telling the truth with God's authority. I mean, as an example of this, in 1 Kings and chapter 17, 1 Kings and chapter 17, um, Elijah, who is mentioned later, was a prophet to Israel. 1 Kings and chapter 17 and uh, from verse 8. Was a prophet to Israel in the days of Ahab, the king, king of Israel. And Ahab's wife Jezebel issued death threats against him. Elijah tells Ahab, look, there'll be a drought for years because of Israel's idols. You're misleading the people, causing them to worship idols and so on. And then because of the death threats, he has to run to hide from the king. Now, no one he was sent to believed him. He was sent to Israel. They didn't believe him. They didn't receive the message of God. However, when God sends him to a widow, not to a king now, but to a widow, a, a little, I mean, the picture of a widow is someone who is okay, they're, 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 they're um, bereaved, defenseless, um, don't have much right, but this, this is even in Israel, but a widow, a foreign widow in Sidon, north, just north uh, of Israel's, Israel's northern borders. God sends him to this widow, if you uh, look at uh, uh, 1 Kings 17, verses 8 and 9, and the widow believes the word. The Lord said to Elijah, um, then the Lord said to Elijah, if you want just swipe along, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. This is God telling Elijah. So Elijah went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the city, he saw a widow gathering sticks. There's drought, rainfall, is zilch, famine, crops would fail, and this woman just has these gathering sticks to just make a little bit of, you could call it a tortilla or naan bread, and she just has enough to make one bit of bread for herself and her son. They'll eat, and then they die. What does Elijah ask her for? Woman, please give me a glass of water. And um, as she turns to go, 
uh, uh, and a bit of bread as well. <laughs> and she's like, dude, what's the matter? You're the only one who doesn't know there's a famine. I'm paraphrasing. And uh, he says to her, listen, woman, I swear by the Lord your God that, um, that I mean, she, she, she's saying rather that she swears she doesn't have even bread to give this guy. But God, um, Elijah tells her, look, just give me this, um, give me this, this piece of bread. Give me this water. And she believes Elijah. And it turns out eventually that as, as, as he says to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Do just what you have said, but make a little bread for me first then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son and the next verse says but this is what the lord the god of israel says there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the lord sends rain and the crops grow again so she is a foreigner two things to note about her she believes the word of god spoken to her and even the third thing she has no food but God miraculously provides for her through the famine. It's telling that Jesus has seen this before. He's seen this before, being uh, God in person amongst Israel here. But it's encouraging as well as it is. It is no reflection on the one who is speaking the message. It's no reflection on Jesus that his message is being re rejected. It's, it is only sad that the, the ones refusing to honor the prophet don't get to benefit or experience the blessing of the prophet that accompanies the message if they had chosen to hear and receive this. Thinking about this and looking at what this means for us, we can be confident that um, God's message will be heard we can be confident that God's message will be heard even where we as the messenger is rejected because God's spokesperson will be honored. I mean, thinking about how this applies, you who are parents of adult children, I mean, you may be experiencing and facing resistance to the gospel, the message of the gospel that you constantly speak at home <laughs> or you who are adult children of parents stuck in their way you have spoken the message of the gospel and it's been rejected because of familiarity I mean these children only know they know us too well you know those parents too well and the parents know you too well they've seen you grow up so I mean who are you to say anything about the gospel to me please but it's no reflection on you if you're preaching the truth the message of god the gospel of god carry on faithfully wisely lovingly telling the truths of god's message they may be taller wiser older but um for those that are closest to us and even those nearby those we've worked with we're familiar with 
and know us in and out. There may even be people who know us from our BC days and just would not hear the message of God well. We can be confident that God's message will be heard because his messenger will be honored um, regardless of the rejection that he faces. The message, is, the message is authentic. The message will come back to God fulfilling the purpose for which he has spoken it and rejection notwithstanding. Now we can be confident as well in God's provision um, for in God's provision for his mission. Let's, the, the second incident here really is encased in uh, Mark chapter 6 and 6 to 30. But in sections here, we just look at the fact that God's, we can be confident in God fulfilling his work despite opposition, if we want to call it that. God will fulfill his work and enable his disciples despite opposition. Um, look, at, look with me from verse uh, 6, if you like, the latter part of verse 6, where you see Christ calling his disciples now. The rejection in Nazareth is not a deterrent for the, for the work carrying on for the mission, for the message of God being spoken. It may be rejected at home. It doesn't invalidate God's message. Um, and he sends out his disciples. Now, some very interesting things to note here. Um, he calls the disciples to be with him. And this is an indication to us as well that uh, indeed for those who are in Christ, indeed the Lord does call us to be with him. He calls them to be with him and he sends them out in his power. Let me uh, point, highlight that in, in, the, in, the, in the text, just a few verses here. So in verses 10 and 11, he calls them and instructs them to do what? Take no food. Wherever, take no food, Take no traveler's bag. Take no money. Don't take a second tunic, as in just travel with no change of clothes. If anybody, uh, wear only sandals. And if anybody welcomes you, stay in the house till you leave. I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, some of us, you know, I mean, lastminute.com at least will do something and book book a hotel, even if it's Airbnb or on booking.com, we'll make sure we get somewhere to stay and have a card with some, with some cash on it that you can just tap in and tap out wherever and make sure the, the, the country there exchanges whatever currency you're, you're going with. But this is just what? What kind of a trip is this? I mean, what kind of a mission is this how can we go out in this way i don't know if you're asking that question just as i was i mean reading this like hey can we actually do this <laughs> can we actually go out in this manner you know and uh in verse 11 he also tells them if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you 
Check his dust from your feet as you leave to show that you're leaving them to their fate. Now, check this. You see, we can have confidence in God's provision for his work, um, for the work that he calls us to. You see, in God's providence, God does this. He relates to everything that he has created. Let me make that point again. In this text, there is a hint of God cooperating with everything that he's created to fulfill his purposes. I mean, otherwise, how would these guys get fed? They're going out with no money. They're going out with nowhere to stay. They haven't made bookings yet. They're going out with, hmm, who knows how long they're going out for. And they will have, they will need to be supported. They will need to be provided for. Well, in the last, um, in the first incident, we saw how God prepared that widow to make bread for Elijah. I bet for her, she had her own issues to deal with as well because to be asked to prepare some bread when you're in the middle of a famine, you've got the last, just enough to make one bit of bread and you know that's going to be your last meal. She had to make a choice whether she was going to do that or not. And she made a choice and that choice worked with God to provide for Elijah. Similarly, there'll be people out there who would have had to make such choices and to work with God to support his, um, to support the people he sends out on mission. Look at this. I mean, for this, in this, in this same case also, we see an example of a miracle with the uh, widow, you know, it's not just God's providence, but also a miracle. Because can you can you imagine having an almost empty bottle of oil, an almost empty jar of flour? I mean, I live in a house where we're all adults now, and you know, sometimes you go to the fridge and you want to bring out something and. <laughs> Lusuma, please forgive me. <laughs> I get asked, where's the... <laughs> I would say what, don't worry. <laughs> and, and I often make a joke of, oh, it's gone out. <laughs> Just to say that some ingredient in the fridge is finished. <laughs> you know? So, but she's like... Um, she's like... Gone back to that jar... And she's not asking the man of God, where's the olive oil? Where's the flour? There's, she's made some, but it's still there. She's made and it's still there again. Look at that provision. I mean, somebody's, a, a well-known theologian described this as a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people, arouses their awe and wonder, and he bears witness to himself. 
That's a miracle. There was oil in the jug. There was flour in the jar till the rains returned. You know. So <laughs> I just I just scratch my head and think that at the beginning of this pandemic, when there was talk about, oh man, there's going to be food supply shortages and all whatnot. Boy, the rate at which Costco shelves just got cleared, fish, everything gone. I ask the question, how much of the things we might choose to prioritize over the kingdom of God? Because these disciples had to make a choice. They had to make a choice and trust God. They had to make a choice and be confident in God's provision as they went out. They went with nothing. In thinking about this, what confidence do we have in obeying God or in choosing to obey God, in choosing to, to do or carry out things we know God lays on our hearts to do? As I speak, I mean, I can feel some very serious conviction. I can feel, I can feel, the, I can feel the knife going in my own heart. Like, okay, there's things I know God has laid on my heart, has placed a burden on my heart to do. But... I start thinking, hmm, what kind of reception will I get? What kind of, you know, take-up will there be? Who will be interested? I, 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 you know what I'm saying? Just wondering, will God come through? Will God come through? And the cry of the same Lord is, is ring, it rings out all the time. As I even talk about it now, I, I just wonder why sometimes I keep going back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 where he says, ah, you know, take no thought for the where he talks about um, seeking first the kingdom of God and the righteousness therein. Prioritizing God's business over mine, over the things I pursue. And look what he says. He will give you everything you need. God have mercy. God have mercy. But we can be confident. We can have confidence that God will meet the need for the mission he calls us to. For the assignment he calls us to. So, we can have confidence that God's message will be heard. Even in the face of rejection, we can have confidence that God will provide what is needed for, for, for the things he calls us to do. And um, for the mission he sends us out to, 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 to complete, rather, in, even in the face of opposition as well. So, Second part of this point, you know, God's power actually fulfills his mission as we see. And the disciples went out to preach. They cast out many demons. They healed many people. They anointed many with oil. Mark 6, verse 12 to 13. You know something? None of this was about them. 
None of this, if anything, it was just about their obedience and faithfulness to the task that God had given them to fulfill. You know, with these displays of God's power as well, through men just like us, if we, you know, place our confidence in God's ability to meet the need of the mission, um, is there, this, 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 this account is there to encourage us, really, to come just as we are to follow him. They encourage us also that we, can, we truly don't have much to offer. If anything, we don't have much to offer at all. You know? I, I can remember vaguely and I'm not, you know, pointing fingers. If I'm pointing any, I'm pointing at myself. <laughs> but, you know, this is the time where we can, you know, just kind of take scripture and say, well, I don't have that gift or that fruit of the Spirit. Hey, you know, it is, it is the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? It is God's working in and through us however he works it out, however he chooses to. We truly don't have much to offer. This is God's work. We don't have power in ourselves to fulfill God's work. We go in his authority. We go in his name. We go in his power. We go by his spirit. And next point, we fulfill his work despite opposition. I said there was an account, there is an account as we read sandwiched in here Within this, within this trip of, of opposition to, this, to the gospel. I mean, what does that look like? Just take an illustration, a very recent one. It looks like, you know, being pulled down from a pop-up stool and thrown in jail for reading from the book of Genesis. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. It's not a new theme that's faced by gospel preachers. You know, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 16 and um, 16 to 18, John the Baptist is arrested and eventually beheaded for pointing out that the king's lifestyle choice was opposed to God's commandment. Sounds like today, except, except for the beheading. <laughs> You know, but it is true that what is, it is true what is written that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The persecution of the church is also another thing that is under God's governance. As in, look, persecute the church, that was somebody making a choice. But that choice that somebody made, Paul the Apostle, for example, made a choice to persecute the church, made a choice to be there, giving his consent to Stephen being stoned. He made that choice. God knew. God didn't go, man, no. Hey, Gabriel, go sort that out. Get there quick before. No. God's there, right there. And Stephen sees God and Wow, 
I see the, you know, I see the Lord. I, 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 I didn't read that far because that's not, that's not the, the point of this. This is just an example to support the fact that God knew this. This is in God's control. In case you're wondering whether I'm, whether I'm not clear about this. This is in God's control. He knows. And Paul the Apostle eventually attests to this where he says that he persecuted the church of God. But whatever he is now, it is all because God poured his special favor on him. Wow. And what a Lord, I mean, how much of the how much of the text that we have in the New Testament is, is attributed to Paul of 27 books? How many? Anybody here know? <laughs> Count them. <laughs> Homework. <laughs> this is the guy who persecuted the church. What will our faith look like? In the face of persecution. What will our faith, faith look like in the face of opposition? Will it disappear? That's if it's showing now at all. Or will it thrive? My prayer is that, and I say this by way of just um, a little mini application. <laughs> May God not have to raise help and deliverance or even a hand somewhere else, from somewhere else, just like the way um, uh, Mordecai charged Esther, and he called her, "Come, go to the king, make 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 the appeal for for the children of for the for the for the Jews, for the Hebrews," and just to encourage her not to hide herself in the castle. Oh, in the, I say in the castle, in the palace. <laughs> Encouraging us to hide ourselves in the palace, he says that, ah, if you don't answer, God will raise help from somewhere else who will bring deliverance for the children of Israel. I say, may God not have to raise help and deliverance or even a hand somewhere else if we are well placed to respond to his call for mission, however big or small. However big or small. Scale up now. Here's the guy's just going out on, okay, small mission if you like. And now Jesus is taking things up to another scale, to another level, to help these guys have confidence, absolute confidence. <laughs> and this, as I say this, I know it, 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 it even feels to me like a, a, rep, a repetition of the same point. But an amplification of it. God will provide what, what God will provide whatever the work. I mean, for this point, the disciples really are the focus here. In Mark, this is this covers this, the last section of our text, Mark chapter six, verses thirty-one to fifty-six. Disciples really are the focus here. I mean, Jesus wants to. Take them aside to be with him by themselves. Uh, 6.31 to 2. He wants to take them to, aside to be with him by themselves. But almost like he was heading off to 
Jairus' house in the last, in, in la, la, the end of last week, and then this lady comes and, you know, interrupts and disrupts his plans. Here, people in the towns around the lake, they recognize the boats and run ahead. You know, um, I mean, this, this is not necessary to, to, to illustrate, but I know there's a few of you who've been to Austria here as part of the church retreat, and you see that lake in Austria has about 10 towns around it, but you can see, you can almost see every boat on the lake, wherever it is, whichever town you're at, and these guys can see the boat on the lake heading out, and it's not hard for them to, okay, let's leg it. Whichever direction that boat's going, that's where we're going. And they run ahead. <clears throat> and when they get to Jesus, when they get to um, their destination, Jesus and the disciples, verse 34, Jesus saw the huge the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. Jesus is the good shepherd. Um, I mean, he's like the, she he's the shepherd spoken of in Numbers chapter 27 where Moses finds himself contending for the children of Israel. Numbers 27 verse 17 and finds himself contending for the children of Israel to provide water and he's, you know, tripped up and God has determined that, look, Moses, I mean, you blew it here and, you know, for that reason, you can just go have a look into the promised land but you're not entering. And Moses renders this prayer that God give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and lead them into battle so the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And that's a theme that's continually recurring throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament. God and his people really looking for leaders who would guide them, leaders who would encourage them to be the people of God. And this is where Jesus, the Lord, who's come on the scene, is. This is what he's doing. He's working that mission out right now in person. And seeing the people, he's concerned for their spiritual well-being and began to teach them many things. Anyways, um, the disciples can... Um, seeing that Jesus is teaching them and taking a long time, <laughs> they begin to, <clears throat> um, Lord, this place is desolate. This, this is, I mean, open field, open pasture. This is like being out in the sticks. Villages nearby, a good trek. I didn't do a Google like um, Adam <laughs> to, to, see, to see how much of a trek it would take them to get to the nearby villages. But it's getting late. I mean, and it's also getting late. It's a desolate place. And their concern is, you know what, Jesus, please, I beg you, 
send these people away so that they can go and get something to eat, so that they may buy something to eat? Jesus' response, I don't know what you think about Jesus' response in verse 37, but <laughs> Jesus says, you feed them. And I'm thinking, I, I tell you, if I was there, <laughs> I probably would have said to one of the other disciples, did this guy just hear what I said? <laughs> did he not hear what I just said? In typical, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to rush to the conclusion here, but the issue is not so much about the feeding of the disciples, of the, of the 5,000, rather than it is the confidence of the of the disciples in Jesus, in God's ability to handle that situation and provide and meet that need. It's a need that, wow, it's just way beyond their comprehension. You know, some of you may have been here for uh, a minute now. I mean, I, I reflect back as I was preparing for this, just thinking years ago, this is about, what, seven years now? Uh, we've been in these premises. I reflect back seven years thinking, boy, Ecclesia, we were commuting from here to first Goldsmiths College and then to charter school in Dulwich and then to St. Peter's in Broccoli. And ah, listen, if, if you know anything about churches getting together to meet in London, uh, this is, it, is, it is not an easy thing. It's a costly thing, a very costly business. And then this proposition came up like, okay, here's this place. It's right in the center of Lewisham. Uh, like, uh, this, is, uh, <laughs> this looks deep. This is heavy. This is serious. This is going to cost quite a lot. <laughs> this, is, this is like, ah. Uh, I mean, and we had, I don't want to say we had conversations like this, but it seemed like we did have <laughs> conversations like this. And, wow, for us, it was a challenge, a big challenge. I mean, you had to believe God for what God would do to make this come to pass. And... Here the disciples find themselves in that situation. Question is, um, how do you meet needs that even surpass your comprehension? You can't even imagine what it would take to get the needs met. I mean, because they ask in verse 37, or in verse 38, no, in verse 37, like, what? We'd have to work for, for, for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. What kind of objections do you have or what kind of objections do we face or do we have to anything that God has called us to do because the scale of it is just too big to comprehend? You know, and then, okay, and the Lord really puts these guys to the tests. How much bread do you have? Go and find out. <laughs> and they came back. I think another account of this 
or similar accounts of the similar miracle. And the, 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 apostles, the apostles came back with, oh, we have a, a lad here who's got five loaves and two fishes. But what, 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 <laughs> what impact will that have among so many? Wow. Can you see that the ability to actually accomplish great things for God is not at all in ourselves? We can look very hard. We will not find the answers there. We will not find the provision there. We will not find even the... <laughs> find anything in ourselves unless God actually gives us a solution. So, Jesus makes them sit down on the, on the grass in, in, in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the loaves, he gives thanks and breaks the loaves and... and gives them to the disciples. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like something God did earlier on with a tiny bottle of jug of oil and a jar of flour? This is in God's power. This is evidence to anyone that this is miraculous. This is one of God's less common activities by which he awes people and draws attention. You know, he awes and amazes people indeed to um, uh, bring glory to himself. He bears witness to himself. Well, it seems obvious, right? I guess we're looking from how many years removed? Because we're looking with a written account. Somebody's written there. But if we were there, right there, it might just look like we would be busy trying to get the people to sit down. Hey, don't take too much. Hey, you, you know, gathering the crumbs and leftovers and all whatnot. Perhaps, I don't know. Maybe that just didn't, it didn't catch the apostles' attention. Like, where's this bread coming from? We only gave him five and two fishes. Maybe, I don't know. But <clears throat> it comes back to um, the disciples pick up, they finish, pick up the crumbs, pick up the, pick up the leftover fish, and Jesus sends them back uh, across the water to Bethsaida, verse 45. Now, later that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, verse 47, and Jesus was alone on land. Somebody asked me the question, why did they even leave him behind? <laughs> no, that doesn't matter. But the question, the more salient point is really, he sent them along anyway, right? And sent them across the lake by themselves. Now, among these guys were, you know, seasoned fishermen. Seasoned fishermen. But they were rowing and... Um, Alan did us, did us well last week in describing the topography of the lake and how winds could just easily whip up storms and so on in the lake. And they've left in late in the night, but then 3 o'clock in the morning, they're still rowing, trying to get to Bethsaida. Wow. 
And, <coughs> excuse me, about three o'clock in the morning, and Jesus came toward them, walking on the water, intending to go past them. Now, please, um, if this is not miraculous, please tell me what it is. If this is not amazing, tell me what it is. And there's no question about that in the text. Um, they are utterly afraid. They're terrified. They think, they were thinking he's a ghost. Um, and they were terrified when they saw him. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. The declaration that, that he makes here, even in their presence, is that, um, is that of them understanding and knowing that, look, for the work that God has given you, the Lord himself, even in your midst, the Lord himself will provide and make, provi make provision for the work. He would even by himself be the one who is present with you in carrying this work out. And um, Mark notes something and points it out in verse 52. They were totally amazed. But they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Now, um, I mean, there's every temptation for us to, you know, try and do some, I mean, humanly speaking, I, I just thought, okay, what? Is it a mathematical thing? 5,000, seven baskets, two baskets of this? Nah, <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> Irrelevant. There's no, there's no math to it, you know. Even math, that's something that God also created. But, <laughs> you know, here, seeing the miracle and the, the miraculous sign that God did, it, it would seem this, these disciples didn't get the, um, the message of Christ's ministry being absolutely dependent, their, their work in the, their ministry for Christ, being absolutely dependent on him. It wasn't a matter of them in their own strength. Because look, trying to row back across the lake, they're struggling. Couldn't make it across the lake to Bethsaida. Um, the word says their hearts were too hard to take it in. They just didn't get the point that this is actually God. In the flesh with us. Just producing bread. To feed 5,000 from five loaves. Hello. Where does that happen? I know we do barley loaves here. But please. Just increase the numbers by five or ten on the night. And we'd struggle. <laughs> we'd struggle. But here's Jesus doing so much more with so much in fact, with nothing as far as the disciples were concerned. <laughs> nothing at all. But this is God at work. And the mission that Christ came to, 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 to accomplish here is something that overall um, in chapter 10 and verse 45, Mark has highlighted as 
One, the Son of Man came to, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. He's working that mission out here and I revealing himself to the disciples, but it just isn't apparent to them just yet who he is. Because to establish that church or to establish the people who he's called out, these are the, these are, these are the first guys who he's called, the, the 12. He's called them, follow me, come be with me. They are going to be going out on a mission to indeed gather God's people again to himself. But on what basis? Would it be on the basis of, yeah, we're the followers of the carpenter's son? Or were the followers of James and Judas and, you know, whoever's brother? No, that wouldn't cut it. Because the messengers already rejected because of familiarity. But here he reveals himself as God with us. By, evidently by these signs. God drawing attention to himself. God, indeed, um, if I may use South London slang or South London phrase, bigging himself up. <laughs> Big time before the disciples. But it's not quite, it doesn't quite, the penny doesn't drop just yet. Later on, we will see Jesus asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? These things were there. These signs, even the, 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 the sign of the loaves and Jesus walking upon water to present himself, I'm here. I think I read, um, much, uh, I read in, a, in, a, in, a, in a commentary that indeed Jesus announcing himself to the disciples here in this way is more or less the way God would announce himself as the I am. <clears throat> this is me with them on the water. And as soon as he enters the boat, <laughs> boy, they brought the boat to shore, uh, but they landed at Gennesaret. Do you notice that? They were supposed to be going to Bethsaida. <laughs> they landed somewhere else. Even where he sent them to go, they couldn't in their own strength. Or well, they landed somewhere else. And the Lord reveals himself to them as though he intentionally all along wanted to just take time out with them to reveal himself as the Lord who is able, who has control over everything, who, who can multiply, create things out of nothing. And he's there present with them. And when the mark says that um, they didn't understand the significance of the miracle. And, but in this, we can have confidence of God's power that is available for us, even as we continue to walk in his mission, in his call. So, what is it that God has called us to do? How big is it? Beyond comprehension, God's power is available. God's power is available. I know 
of, I mean, I know people who have talked with me about ideas they have to, they, they, want, to, they want to house homeless people. They want to house young single parents, but all with an avenue or to create an, an opportunity or a door to make the Lord Jesus Christ known. They want to do all kinds of ministry, but hmm, is the Lord able to provide? Is the Lord able? Is it, is it the Lord leading you in this direction? If if it is, you can have confidence that He makes His power available for us, even to accomplish His work. So, we end on on Jesus just coming uh, to shore, and yes, look at power available because uh, from verse when they land at Gennesaret the people recognize Jesus again and they run throughout the whole area carrying their sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was wherever he went in the villages and cities the countryside they brought the sick out to the marketplaces and they begged him please they've heard they've heard his fame has gone from I think the last time uh, I shared, this was in chapter 2, where four friends bought, brought their, their, their mate on a stretcher, took the roof off and put him down in front of Jesus. They probably heard about that. And here it is just being replicated. And they begged him, please let the sick touch at least the, the fringe of your robe. And all who touched him were healed. The Lord makes his power available for his purpose. So we can have confidence, even in the face of rejection, that God's message will be delivered, even if the, even if the spokesperson is rejected. God's mission will be accomplished, even in the face of opposition. And God's power is mightily available even when what he calls us to do is beyond the scale or the scope of our imagination. Let's um, just commit this to God and I pray and trust that, you know, whatever things, whatever challenges, whatever situation it is we find ourselves, whether faced with rejection, whether um, called to work out God's purpose, whether thinking, boy, what do I have? There's nothing available. I can't do anything. We'll know that the Lord's power is available for us even as we uh, obediently walk with him. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.